How, how many, like, the shark killed, what, four people before they cleared the island? Yeah, I think so. How many people died of, like, COVID before we went into lockdown? <laughs> uh, how many people are still dying before? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we can get to the pub now. So. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm, you know what? I can't wait. I'm counting down the days, three more days talk and drink myself into oblivion like people who never heard of drinking at home <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the cost of six pounds a pint <laughs> worth it worth it so a bargain uh welcome to the pod charles cinecast presented by the prince charles cinema this is your host jonathan foster and as you could tell our boy our lovely lovely boy our adoptive <laughs> stepson that boy phil Shark Boy. <laughs> Shark Boy is back this week. Hello. <laughs> Give me a shell, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Fuck Lava Girl. Yeah. That's the only Shark Boy I want. Didn't life. he make like a shit ton, shit ton of money because they used his name for that movie? <laughs> that makes me so happy. Did he? Yeah. Because he had that name oh, like, oh. way before fucking Robert. Yeah, Rodriguez yeah. Back, back in the yeah. day. Yeah, we're talking about... Uh, not Robert Rodriguez's Shark Boy and Lava Girl. We're talking about Shark Boy, independent wrestler extraordinaire. TNA superstar. <laughs> TNA superstar. Who uh, apparently sued Robert Rodriguez for stealing his gimmick, yet he made more money off of his own gimmick by stealing someone else's gimmick and incorporating it into his own. Yeah. <laughs> Stone Cold Shark Boy. Do you love wrestling? Uh, oh, man. Phil, what's going on, man? How you been? How are you last week when you took a break? Um, I'm in a constant state of existential dread. <laughs> but I'm okay. <laughs> Someone passed a screaming. Pass. Yeah. Just... Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love that we both had pillows <laughs> on hand. <laughs> oh yeah, this is how professional exactly. we're doing this podcast. It's, it's my home office right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you Everything. look like you're on the beach, technically. Yeah, from my point true. of view. Yeah, um, the house you shouldn't be. I don't approve. We're at the you know convenient location <laughs> of this lovely sign here in Amity Islands, mm-hmm. and we're talking to the mayor and uh, the police chief and some science bitch, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're trying to get our heads wrapped around. What's going on in the world? Uh, but hey, you know what? That can lead us into what's going on at the Prince Charles Cinema. So I, last week, you know, recorded the episode before the news broke out that, uh, hey, cinemas were allowed to open and stuff. We had our mission statement or statement, whatever it is, regarding not reopening in July go out and i didn't edit the episode to include that statement because i was too late <laughs> i apologize but you probably already heard this yeah, anyway. all about John. <laughs> <laughs> hey man editing a podcast is not easy um <laughs> so you probably heard this already but despite the cinemas being given the go-ahead by the government to reopen this weekend from the july july 4th we've decided at the Prince Charles Cinema to hold off for the time being. Simply put, we are just wanting to make sure that we're able to open at the safest possible point for all of our staff and all of our customers alike, just making sure that we're taking the time to learn how to best safeguard the cinema whilst also taking notes of the best practices that are used around the industry, you know. So we're just 
taking their time, maybe stepping back into it, trying to figure out what's going on, how to feel more comfortable. And we just didn't feel like the time is right. But like the Redograph says, we will be back. Uh, it's just when the time is right. And we don't feel like that time is now. But we will be back. But yeah, it seems like, uh, I don't know, UK government and some other governments around the world that I may or may not have uh, some sort Leaning of to. Uh, <laughs> allegiance to by virtue of my passport um, <laughs> are rushing to open up, uh, particularly Boris Johnson's rushing to open up UK, kind of like Mayor Vaughn in Jaws rushing to get the beaches back open. Mm. And we all know how that turned out. We know who the real bad guy of Jordan. <laughs> Have you read the book? No. Jesus. <laughs> He's even worse. But yes, that is what we're talking about this week on the podcast. We're just jumping right into it. I feel like this is going to be a beast of an episode because <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of material Good. here. And I was up into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, finishing prep on this bad boy. I think it was our pal David Ricard, I believe, who a, over a year ago when we talked about Jaws said that he wished that we would do a full episode about Jaws. For a whole year, we were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then that came back up a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember what connection that was. But hey, David, if it was you... <laughs> If it was someone else. If it was someone else, I believe it, it was could David. David. Could have been I, Lee. Uh, it could have been. It could have been Bro. <laughs> could have been Bros. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, here it is. Here's your Jaws episode, full blown. And if if it's not good enough, I apologize. But uh, we're doing our best yeah. when our minds are being fried <laughs> by uh, confined to a bedroom for <laughs> the entire last three and a half months. But yeah, who'd count it? <laughs> Oh, man. Jaws! It's Shark Week on the podcast in the cut. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. <laughs> From the best-selling novel, Jaws. PG. Maybe too intense for younger children. When a young woman is killed by a shark while skinny dipping near the New England tourist town of Amity Island, police chief Martin Brody wants to close the beaches. But Mayor Larry Vaughn overrules him, <gasps> fearing that the loss of tourist revenue will cripple the town. Ichthyologist, that's a shark scientist guy, Matt Hooper, and grizzled ship captain Ahab Quint offer to help Brody capture the beast. And the trio engage in an epic battle of man versus nature. Is his name really Ahab? No, he's just 
He's basically Quinn. just a captain. Okay. Yeah. It's Captain Quinn. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say this uh, is Moby Dick. We're just doing Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 1975 thriller masterpiece from Steven Spielberg. Never heard of it. Who may or may not be number one most wanted on some QAnon. You need to stop bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> like a Tom Hanks and Spielberg, you have to wait until like actual stuff comes out. <laughs> <laughs> no i just i just uh <laughs> i just think it's hilarious what do you do online man <laughs> i want to know what they do this, this is why you're so depressed like if you just the whole time you in quarantine scroll twitter for like three seconds and then you just see like <laughs> oh shit 20 people piling on steven spielberg for no fucking reason <laughs> other than that's he's true. like really rich and made a lot of films that's true i thought <laughs> One a uh, few weeks ago, which was like a group of people convinced that George Clooney and Barack Obama were trafficking children. Yeah, Pizzagate. Yeah. Oh, is that what Pizzagate is? Yeah, it's uh, comic ping pong pizza. It's just some bullshit. Because okay. like. Robbie Williams was saying that he believed in Pizzagate. Yeah. <laughs> and we <laughs> yeah, were like, who? <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I'm not sure... I want to open up that rabbit hole or if any of the listeners out there want to open up that rabbit hole. Uh, but I don't think you do. So we'll talk about you. Definitely not. Cause you know, that will be the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your take? Hot takes out of the gate. Hot takes. Yeah. Like we haven't said it 10 billion times on this podcast. already. Yeah. Should I deliberately like lie about it? Like, Oh, John, like a hot trash of a movie. I just, yeah. I don't know if I like this. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. No, I mean, George, a fucking classic. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it. The kid, I saw it pretty late actually. Really? Yeah. I saw it at, oh. um, uh, probably like a teenager or something. It was like when I was getting into movies and I was like, actively trying to sneak out the classics I hadn't mm-hmm. seen before so like that and like Psycho and stuff like that but it's great it gets better every time I see it it's one of the few like movies that can still scare me like yeah. just as much as it did the first time and um I even I just I well, I happened to rewatch it like before we even set up this episode yeah and I'm glad I rewatched it because it was so elephant right now like annoyingly no you're just like oh my god people are so stupid and then you turn on the news and you're like oh my god people are so stupid (laughs) yeah i mean that's just uh it's it's weird how relevant it is it shouldn't be now the image that i have is my background right now Mm. uh for the listeners who didn't realize what i had in my background it's the the classic image of of uh the amity island you know, welcomes you sign from Jaws with Mayor Vaughn and Chief Brody and Matt Hooper just talking about the spray painting graffiti and closing the beaches and all that sort of stuff. You know, that classic sign. But yeah, when I found this image online, it was a link from April 2020 about how coronavirus was basically the governments around the world reliving Jaws. And that was in April. And I'm like, We're in June. Jesus, just wait until July comes around. And then you realize, oh, now they're really, <laughs> they're it's really, Day. really on that. We got to yeah, be open yeah. for it. It's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest tourist attraction. It's the biggest like money-making <laughs> event of the year. We can't be closed. Uh, we can't, you know, maybe a few people die. It's fine. Fine. <laughs> I mean, I say close those beaches. 
Well, I think you, I forgot what article it was. It was like the government are very reluctant to close the beaches over overcrowding. And yeah. I'm just like, we'll never learn. This movie came out in 1975 yeah. and the book a few years before and we'll never learn. I mean, yeah. Spielberg did it again 30 years later, with, or 20 years later, sorry, with Jurassic Park. It's the same thing of like opening something that isn't ready and lots of people dying. And people yeah. are like, wow, it's dinosaur at war. <laughs> and then they still do sequels and it's just like... How can you keep making the same thing? <laughs> at least the George sequels have integrity, right? Because it's like about the shark wanting revenge, which is completely plausible. So, no, we can save that to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. save it. Screw the real life politics. It is alarming how relevant it feels in 2020, 45 years later. But this uh, amazing film that could be politically charged i don't know i don't want to look too i i last night started looking a little too far into some things people's hot takes and uh i you know it's just like my god who writes this shit at the same time yeah of course you can always find some sort of weird uh i don't know thoughts about things or whatever but then i also think once we get into the episode you're gonna realize i don't think spielberg had some sort of hot political take on this (laughs) this is a movie about a goddamn shark (laughs) (laughs) it's like terrorizing a beach a beach town and it's also based on a a book that spielberg didn't write i don't (laughs) think he had any hot takes no you know deep down about what he was doing with this i think he was just making a badass movie that i believe is a perfect film that's the second time i've ever said that about a movie on this podcast uh I think. What the first time? Was this something wild? No, no, no. Uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Where from start to finish, perfect film. I wouldn't change anything about it. Uh, it the pacing's so perfect for this film. It's got that perfect three-act structure that just like get leads you in really hot and strong, and then it slow burns its way up to like an apex of like, you know, a roller coaster basically. Mm-hmm. And then uh, takes you for the biggest fucking ride for the third act. And it's so fun. And the ending okay. is crazy. I mean, everything about it is just like, it sets the fucking ground. Let's just get into it. The film was based on the 1974 thriller novel by Peter Benchley. You said you haven't read this before, right? No, I know. I think the only diff- difference I know is that Hooper died in the book. Yeah. That's the only thing I know about it. Well, I actually luckily had the privilege to read the book um, about a year and a half or two years ago. Shout out, Paul. <laughs> My boy, Paul. Shout out, Paul. the cinema. Uh, we share an office. And yeah, he one day had it and he, he was finishing it. And he was like, oh, you want to read this? And pass it to me. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I'm very bad about reading books sometimes, but I did read that one rather quick and it was really good. Wasn't it good? Um, yeah, it's very uh, fun. Um, I'll get into it here, but I mean, it's often cool. stated that Benchley himself was inspired by the Jersey Shore shark attacks of 1916, where four people were killed and one injured by a shark or sharks. Or shark-like creature. <laughs> 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 from July 1st to the July July 12th of 1916 
it is unsure if it was a great white shark or if it was a bull shark or if it was numerous sharks or if it was an alligator. No, it wasn't an alligator. <laughs> the thing is, though, the some of the attacks were happening in a creek that was like an an inlet from the sea, and this creek was rather big, and people could swim in it and stuff, but. Bull sharks are more likely to do that than a great white. There's not really much evidence to prove that like great whites would go into a freshwater basin, mm-hmm. but bull sharks have been known to do that. So it's more likely that it was a bull shark that was doing some of those attacks. You've you've quickly become an expert on like shark. Different, <laughs> you know. Hey man, I love marine life. <laughs> I marine biology. I, I was going to say biology, but it's like I, I wouldn't say I love marine biology, but I love marine life. I love I, fish. I love fishing, man. I love uh, mammals in the in the water. Mm. I love whales and dolphins yeah. and free shamu. Um, yeah, free shamu. Black fish is an amazing documentary. Um, but yeah, I I love. That I've always thought it'd be nice to be like a marine biologist or just something out on the sea and studying marine life. Mm. So I do sometimes deep dive a little bit and I kind of did that a little bit with this episode um, more towards the end. But anyway, eventually he's, he's denied this though. Uh, he's It was briefly mentioned by Chief Brody in the film the you know, the 1916 attacks, like he briefly says it. Yeah. But uh, Benchley is often stated he always had a fascination with the sea and with sharks. And he was sitting out looking at the sea and thought one day, what would happen if a shark came in and attacked people and it wouldn't go away? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> and this interest grew greater after reading a 1964 news story about a fisherman named Frank Mundus who caught a great white shark weighing an estimated 4,550 pounds. He caught a shark? Can you fucking do that? <laughs> off the shore of Montauk Point in Long Island, New York. Wow. He's, this guy is pretty wild. He, he was a pretty hardcore uh, shark hunter. Um, <laughs> he would catch them with lines and also with uh, harpoons, mostly harpoons. The harpoon i think is maybe what he used for this four thousand pound one but he also held the record which he might still hold the record for catching like on a line a three thousand pound great white and that one is a little bit more provable (laughs) 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 but this guy was fucking nuts i was looking into his his life and stuff pretty wild man other title ideas eventually had for before he settled on jaws titles were Big Shark. No, <laughs> it was uh, the stillness in the water. The silence of the deep. <laughs> Leviathan rising. And the jaws of death. There's a theme going. <laughs> they finally just settled on jaws. <laughs> jaws did way better. Jaws did more foreboding yeah. Yeah. than anything. I think like back when they settled on it, they were like, but what does that mean? <laughs> he was like, how, how about just Jaws? And his publisher was like, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could have been called like teeth or like fin or like <laughs> blood in the water. That would have been good. Yeah. Blood in the water. Yeah. Huh. It's not too bad. Shark in the water. Ah, shark. Ah, shark. Ah, shark. Ah, shark. So, yeah, you're talking about the book, some differences. 
I mean, I'll go into it a little bit. Uh, I read the book. It's great, but it is wild. It is a bit different. There's more influence from the mayor, like as the town of Amity is controlled by the mafia in the book. And he's heavily relying on tourist trade to stay afloat. I love the idea that he had to make it a sort of conspiracy thing in the book. But like in the movie and in real life, it's just know that these politicians are just kind of crooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't need the mafia yeah. behind them. I mean, they lean on it a little bit because, you know, obviously, like, he does have his cronies around him, but they don't really explain who these guys are. Yeah, and that's stupid. Um, but the whole thing, he's, like, heavily involved in real estate and stuff, and it's really seedy. Uh, the whole thing of him not wanting to close the beaches is more so, like, because if it stops the tourist trade, then the real estate will go down and he'll lose all this money and stuff. And he's, yeah. like, probably heavily in debt and all that. Another weird difference is Ellen Brody, which I was really turned off by this when reading the book. <laughs> Ellen Brody and Chief Brody have such a lovely relationship in the in the film. Yeah. And they're really like it's a really nice couple it's and everything. Sweet and believable. So originally she's from Amity, you know, because like in there's a scene on the beach where Lorraine Gray's talking to that other woman who might be might be the mayor's wife or something. Yeah. And she's all like, oh, when when will I be a, an Islander? And like, you're not born here, you'll never be one, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. So Ellen actually is from Amity and she was brought up in a more well-to-do life and misses she misses that swanky lifestyle that she had growing up and, you know, going to rich parties and all that sort of stuff. But then she marries, you know, Brody, who's from New York City, and he like is a little bit more lower class. Yeah. Too lower too too lower class for her. <laughs> and she starts like having all these regrets. He's like a lifeguard. Yeah. And then also Hooper. So he's a dick in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and Ellen used to date Hooper's older brother. And when she meets Hooper in in the book she like starts missing that whole lifestyle even more. Oh my God. And then she meets up with Hooper and they end up having an affair. No. <laughs> yeah. It's so wrong. That's it's so, so weird. You don't need so any of that. You know, I was always wondering what the fuck was up with that. And I was like, oh, thank God Spielberg, like, you know, changed all that. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I start reading into it last night and I think that wasn't even really a part of Peter Benchley's original idea it was something that the publishers were like, yeah, we need that kind of need, stuff. We need some salacious sex. Yeah. We don't need this like husband and wife having, you know, a nice relationship and having sex in this book. Nah, we need an affair. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I mean, they yeah. kind of move that um, conflict to Hooper. And that in the book, because in the movie, he thought of like a well to do kid. Uh, with money and yeah. Quint gives him shit for it. And he's like, yeah. I don't need this working class hero <laughs> like bullshit, but he can work. He knows that's like tie knot and work about. Yeah. So they kind of move it. That does happen in the book oh, as okay. well. Okay. Um, like, cause he's still pretty well to do and has money and all that. Um, but yeah, he's just such a dick. <laughs> like 
and to be honest, like even Brody's a bit of a dick in the book. Like they're all just kind of, yeah, they're just horrible. Like everyone in the book is absolutely horrible. And I'll get into that as we go (laughs) along with what Spielberg was dealing with, with uh, trying to get this film made. But uh, yeah, like you said, Hooper dies, you know, um, in the shark cage attack. Yeah. And Quint is actually dragged under by the shark after he gets entangled in a rope. He's not bitten in half like he is. And sorry, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm spoiling this. I'm sorry. Dude. This book's been out for f- over 45 years. Yeah. And if you've not seen this film, go watch it. Go <laughs> like, watch George, Go man. watch it. If, like, if only just for the Mev's nasty <laughs> fucking outfits, which I'm just <laughs> noticing now. Are those anchors on that suit? Those are anchors. It's like a baby blue it's suit amazing. with anchors. It's lovely. It's go the ahead. Best suit. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Quint basically gets dragged under, and it's very much like Captain Ahab and Moby Dick, like yeah. gets dragged under. Um, and then the shark also dies differently. He actually succumbs to his wounds throughout the battle that the three men have with the shark, and he dies basically as he's like lunging towards Brody at the last minute and just like rolls over and just sinks with Captain Ahab Quint with him. That's like a. Uh... I mean, the film ending is better, obviously. Yeah. Ex- I mean, that explosion? An explosion is always better. Um, yeah. But that's such a, like, War of the World type ending, where, yeah. like, all this shit happened, and then it's like, the aliens just die because yeah. of fucking bacteria, and you're like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is a little bit more literary, and, like, it, yeah. it would have been weak <laughs> in the film. And I know, like, Peter Benchley, like, I, th- I think he pretty much hated that ending in the film. And I, I just don't know. I think it's a great ending. Ending. And, you know, it's it just sets the tone for what you're going to come to expect from someone like Spielberg, like, for the rest of his career, really. It's <laughs> just much. like this fucking explosion. Like, oh, it's so good. Uh, but anyway, the book left me feeling dirty, though, after <laughs> reading it. I did enjoy it. It's mainly because I love Jaws. And uh, it's a really good read because it's like, it tells a lot from the shark's point of view. And it's very scientific. It's almost like the way Moby Dick is written, Mm -hmm. um, where it's really scientific. And it goes into a lot of the theories of rogue sharks and stuff, which is kind of bullshit as well, because there's not really any proof of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, fuck, I'll just go ahead and say this movie and that book did a number on sharks and the perceptions of sharks and the wild and it's absolutely uh, abhorrent. I'm so, um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, because yeah. it's like it's, it's like sharks weren't even in the like pop culture consciousness before. Yeah, this book and this movie, and then they got a horrible reputation. You know, people always say like, "Oh, afraid to go into the water." Yeah, and if a shark would ever attack you, it's like so, like so rare, so rare. It's like getting hit by lightning. Yeah, um, and it's like another creature that it's hard to. Uh, people find it hard to sympathize with because of a yeah. movie where it's like, you know, <laughs> sharks are being hunted and their fin cut off and they're being mm. thrown into the bottom of the sea. And people are like, yeah, but remember they killed that girl in that movie once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, I, I find it wild how crazy this film made people about going into the sea. And I mean, that's the power of cinema though. And power of this film from 1975 
And I'll get into all the stuff with the shark and all that, but I mean, it looks amazing to Still this day. Up, honestly, twenty twenty. I watched it the other day. In like, yeah, a couple of moments, looking at Bruce the shark. I'll get into that. Like, Bruce, you know, he, yeah, at times, it looks it looks a bit weird with his jaw, but like, for the most part, it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into the reasons why in just a second and all that, but I don't know, man. It's crazy how much this film scared people. And he scared me as a kid. I remember being afraid to go into the ocean when I was a little kid and I watched this film. <laughs> and it's funny, like my my uh, wife's sister doesn't listen to this podcast, but my wife does, so she'll probably laugh about this. And hopefully, <laughs> Julia, don't tell your sister that I was laughing about this. But my wife's sister lives with us right now and uh i was watching jaws the other day and she was afraid to like come into the room uh when it was on because she was afraid of sharks and she's never seen the film because she's just terrified of sharks and i'm like oh you gotta see it it's so good it. if you're afraid of shark it's the perfect movie to watch yeah the they whole, never show it they never show it and a two hour of three guys trying to kill a shark desperately <laughs> all right let's get into the pre-production of this so all right, the the book's made. Uh, it hasn't been released yet, but it's gone around and stuff, and people are starting to hear about it. And two people that heard about it are Richard D. Zanuck and David Brown, who were producers at Universal Pictures. Uh, Brown came across it in the literature section of lifestyle magazine Cosmopolitan, which was edited by his wife at the time, Helen Gurley Brown. And there was a small card written by the magazine's book editor, which gave a detailed description of the plot, concluding with the comment, it might make a good movie. Hey, check out this book. It says it might make a good movie. Maybe it'll make a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood. Well, it's not like, yeah, it's not like he, it's not like uh, Benchley did that, but that'll be some fucking swagger man coming in. Like, Should we say that about this podcast? <laughs> It might make a good movie. We'll get some money out of this. You know, we can sell it. <laughs> so Zanuck and Brown, they both got their hands on some copies before it was released. I don't know how these Hollywood people do it. Every time I'm doing these podcasts and I'm starting to read about how like these directors are getting their hand or producers and stuff are getting their hands on books that haven't even come out yet. I'm just like, how are you doing this, man? You got some real fucking pool. But, uh, then again, I am sitting on my bed making a podcast about a movie. So, of course, I don't know. So we are much better than these people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Zanuck and Brown, they got their hands on a copy of the book, uh, and they both decided that it was the most excited, exciting thing they have ever read, and that they wanted to produce a film version, because they read that <laughs> card that said yeah. it might make a good movie. Yeah, and nothing else. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Although they were unsure, though, how it would be accomplished. That is uh, something that keeps coming up. <laughs> we should make this movie. I don't know if we can make it, but let's just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. They purchased the film rights in 1973 before the book's publication, like I said, for approximately $175,000. Uh, Brown claimed that if they had read the book twice, they never would have made this film. Because they would have realized it was difficult. <laughs> They're like, wait, how are we how are we gonna tie a camera to a shark? Can we do that? 
Dude, just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Originally, veteran director John Sturgis was considered for helming the director's chair before they offered the job to Dick Richards. Tricky Dick. (laughs) Now, Dick Richards was quickly dismissed after ruffling feathers by continuously calling the shark (laughs) the whale. (laughs) God damn. They're like, we can't, we can't let him make this movie. Yeah. He doesn't even know what the fuck it's about. I'm pretty sure like maybe like Peter Benchley was still kind of attached or around at this point and stuff. Maybe it was some of these meetings yeah. and shit. And he was just like, I think furious. <laughs> He's like, it's a shark. God damn it. <laughs> Do I have to say again? <laughs> fucking the book and called John. I'm not making fucking free willy over here. <laughs> <laughs> fucking baleen teeth. <laughs> gonna call it bristles. Bristles. <laughs> Oh, that'd He's be a great day for a movie. Fuck you up. Yeah. Blowhole. The movie. <laughs> Blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, a 26 year old Steven Spielberg who had just finished the Sugarland Express for Zanuck and Brown. And let me repeat that 26 years old. He's my age, and that pissed me the fuck <sighs> off. <laughs> so he just finished Sugarland Express for the producer Zanuck and Brown. And he had seen the novel sitting in the Universal offices and he got intrigued and he read it. And then he noticed the similarities between it and his first feature film, Duel. This is like my movie, but a shark. (laughs) (laughs) Noting that they both deal with these leviathans targeting every man. And if you watch till the end of the film, when the shark blows up, it actually uses the same sound of the truck. In duel, going off the cliff. Because those sounds are similar. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. Uh, uh-huh. Fun fact before we get into the facts. <laughs> the, the rest <laughs> of them aren't fun. <laughs> yeah, the rest of them are yeah. shite. So Zanuck and Brown ended up signing up you know, Spielberg to direct the film. And it was just before they released Sugarland Express. So Spielberg, you know, man of the hour. And he was the man of the shit, power, you know. Man with the power, hot shit. Uh, but before production began, Spielberg would have some doubts about the project. The first of many doubts <laughs> that he would have throughout the production of this film. Basically, he just didn't know if he wanted it to be the truck and the shark guy. You know, and he was like, I think I might want to move over to 20th Century Fox. They got this film called Lucky Lady. I want to be a part of. <laughs> that's, me, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, but his mentor and Universal President Sid Sheinberg, the man who is often credited as discovering Steven Spielberg and producer David Brown, they ended up convincing him to do Jaws because, one, he had to contractually because he already signed on. Well, you know, we really want you to make this movie, Steven. Like, you know, we think you're really talented. Um, uh, firstly, uh, you have to do this because um, you're contracted. Otherwise, we'll yeah. sue you into oblivion. And uh, second... <laughs> Second is uh, after he made Jaws, he could make anything. But also they were like, you can make anything or you can make nothing. (laughs) 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 Because we will see you. You'll never work in this town again, boy. Yeah. Oh, man. The old studio system. Gotta love it. I love how these guys like Spielberg and stuff start making crazy ass movies like Jaws. You got like. Star Wars from George Lucas and 
Indiana Jones and then all their other friends making all these crazy films like Taxi Father Driver. Yeah. They destroyed the studio system. <laughs> and then they them. destroyed it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's amazing. Fucking Michael Camino, like <laughs> having wild ideas, screwing it up for everyone else. It's like the studios will never give us any money to have free reign ever again. Well, it's like the record company. <laughs> Yeah. It's like we're never going to give artists money ever. We'll stand by them and pretend to care, but we never want to pay them. We want to make sure they make no money off their music. Yeah, but it's all right though because you know we're still getting fucking Avengers films, man. I just want to see a movie that knocks my socks off from a young director who is given like free reign to just like go make a stupid movie with a lot of money and. It turns out to be like a Jaws, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, they don't do that anymore. You know, it's fine though, because you get these young directors who, you know, go with much smaller budgets or they get given budgets on the fringes, like the fucking softies, and then they blow your mind. Uncut Gems, the, man, yeah. Uncut Gems, thrill ride, and it doesn't need a crazy shark, but, you know, it's still a thrill. Mm, but I just hate hearing those stories, right? Like a Marvel or a Disney or whatever, they hire like a young, up and coming person. And, who've got like a few indies under their belt, give them a big franchise movie, refuse to let them put any sort of voice or twist on it. They end up yeah. being fired for creative differences. They're made yep. to look bad in the media and their career is kind of ruined for a bit. And yeah. they usually have to work their way back um, through other means. But that's such a shitty thing to do. Always trust the director. It's always because the mishmash cut you get by the end is worse anyway. Mm-hmm. You might well go for something different yeah and if you don't i mean i don't know i mean i know it's scary i mean but fuck man for the young directors out there just jump man just do something wild take a page out of like robert rodriguez's book how he made a film for seven thousand dollars or or a page out of kevin smith's book or you know the softies look, look what they did and you know now netflix and hbo and everybody wants to be One in peace. yeah <laughs> well this film was given an estimated budget of about 3.5 million dollars and his shooting schedule of 55 days <laughs> <laughs> so principal photography was set to begin on may 1974 the book's been out for like two months what the fuck <laughs> Universal wanted the shoot to finish by the end of June when the major studio's contract with Screen Actors Guild was due to expire to avoid any disruptions due to a potential strike. But they still needed to get the film written. (laughs) We're shooting in two months. Hopefully it's written. Yeah, it's just a rush, this whole thing. It's wild, man. Like The making of Jaws is It shouldn't be as good as it is. Yeah, it should not be a perfect film. It's like, it's unbelievable. Like, I don't know, man. It's wild. Spielberg, he primarily loved the last act of the book. Uh, He basically thought the hunt was just like amazing and he wanted to rework the first two acts. So when the producers bought the rights, they promised Peter Benchley that he could write the first draft. And apparently this was due to another impending strike that was going on with the Writers Guild. And because Benchley wasn't unionized, they were just like, oh, well, you know, if he does the script, then the script will get done. And if there's a union, he could still work. <laughs> oh, man. God damn. This is how, this is how capitalism works. <laughs> <laughs> 
So eventually he gave his best shot. He turned in like three drafts before he was just like, man, I'm written out and I've struggled to put character texture to the script. And I just, I can't, I don't know. And, uh, and people keep calling it a whale and I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that Spielberg wanted to admit was the adulterous affair with Hooper and Ellen Brody. He felt go. that was a bit wild. Um, but eventually after eventually got his like three drafts in, none of, none of the people at Universal, even Spielberg are really happy. Obviously the story's great. It's just like, the conversations, the dialogue, all that. They needed something. And then Spielberg turned to his friend, Carl Gottlieb, who was writing on All in the Family and the Odd Couple TV shows. He also did some acting. He's popped up in some things here and there, including this film. And uh, he just basically wanted to add some levity to the script and a dialogue polish. But Gottlieb actually just ended up becoming the primary writer. And he and Spielberg would work closely throughout the entire time of principal photography with Gottlieb rewriting each night before shooting the next day's scenes. Jesus God. Yeah. I, I heard they were like cutting as they went as well. So just like literally a roller coaster of like, we need this, we need that. We need to rewrite this. Never like comfortable, yeah. nothing working, <laughs> constant fear <laughs> of drowning. <laughs> so let's get into the cast. All right. We got Roy Scheider as Chief Martin Brody. I absolutely love Roy Scheider in this film. Me he too. Is incredible. Um, I mean, he's incredible in everything he's been in, really. He's such a good actor, but it's just like when I see his face, I always think of Chief Martin Brody. I just like, that's, that's Brody, man. He's like, that is the role he was like built to play. The role was originally offered to Robert Duvall, but it turned out Robert Duvall only wanted to play Quint. <laughs> too young. <laughs> would have been interesting, at that point, but yeah. Yeah, probably too young. Yeah. And he um, had hair, you know? <laughs> yeah, he had hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlton Heston was really, really keen for the role, but Spielberg thought that he was too big for the role. And that the shark wouldn't last the first half of the film yeah. with Heston in the lead. Yeah. Oh, man, I can't imagine damn. this film with Charlton Heston. Get your fin off me, you damn dirty shark. <laughs> damn you, shark. <laughs> By the power of God, we'll take you down. Whoa, chill, man. Mouth is the big shark. <laughs> <laughs> Splits the sea just to walk. <laughs> the and just bitch slapped him. <laughs> Spielberg uh, was hanging out at a party and he was sulking alone. Classic Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently Roy Scheider just came strolling up to him and was talking to him. And uh, Spielberg started talking about all of his problems with casting in the film and his insecurities and his feelings about this film and how crazy the whole thing was. And then just the whole thing about having to make a shark jump up onto the boat. Mm-hmm. And Scheider was like, what about me? I'm an actor. <laughs> like that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Spielberg was originally hesitant though, because he just like feared that Scheider would play like the tough guy role that he knew him from the French connection. Right. Although he absolutely loved him, but he needed someone to be vulnerable and basically be like the audience. You yeah, know, every man. Yeah. All the way yeah, in. Yeah. Every man. And uh, yeah. It turned out though that he just went ahead, went they went with it, and, and Scheider was just absolutely perfect. He's he perfect for the that. role. 
It felt good. The best thing about the film has probably got to be Quint. And that's played by Robert Shaw. But it turns out nine days before filming started, nine days, they hadn't even cast Quint or Hooper. <laughs> I'd be fine. I'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make this film. It's cool. We'll it's shoot cool, around right? them. We'll shoot around them. <laughs> we'll do all, you know, it's like the shark. We haven't got the shark built yet. It's fine. We'll do all like the talking, walking stuff, and it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, as long as this film took to pay, they would have been all right. So Spielberg originally wanted Lee Marvin. And Lee Marvin was available, but he was on a sport fishing vacation. And he was like, when I go fishing, I go for the real thing. <laughs> I don't half-ass that shit, boy. I don't make no shark movie in the middle of my fishing trip. <laughs> the next person they were really into was Sterling Hayden. But it turned out that Sterling Hayden owed a lot of money to the government. So basically, if he worked at all, he would just be working for free. And he was just like, nah. That's really funny. And then finally, they settled on Robert Shaw, whom they all loved from the sting. And Robert Shaw's character, Quint, is heavily influenced by this Frank Mundus guy. Um, the shark been a lot of Yeah, it's been a lot of debate about like whether or not like Quint altogether like peter benchley kind of downplayed that quint was inspired by frank mundus and uh it's it's like everyone who was just like knew the situation like was like nah he's definitely influenced by him <laughs> <laughs> like uh frank mundus himself was like oh he totally is but you know there's some problems i have with it like i wouldn't be boiling no uh, shark jaws in water because all the cartilage would melt away. And then you just have a bunch of teeth at the bottom of your pot. Yeah, and I wouldn't be scratching a blackboard. I hate that sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had, a, he had a few faults with it, but I mean, whatever. Um, but yeah, this Frank Mundus guy was pretty fucking wild. Uh, it turned out he actually made a long career out of being like this crazy shark hunter and crazy all-around crazy guy. But then he turned out to be a really big shark conservationist, like, you know, towards his end days, which is really nice to hear. Mm. But yeah, Robert Shaw. I mean, we'll get into like some more bits about this guy. But I mean, he's so fucking good in this movie. He, Absolutely amazing. He's great. He brings such a. I don't know. It's like the movie gets serious when he shows up. Yeah. He's kind of scary. He's kind of funny. Kind of weird. Like this weird drunk old man. That's the only thing I've seen him in. No, Robert Shaw is always just Quint in my head. No, yeah. I, I can only see him as that character, so he's even more believable than mm. the other. It's like, you know, Hooper is amazing, but it, I also love Richard Dreyfus in general. Yeah. Unfortunately, Robert Shaw did pass away, I think, a few years after this yeah. film. So it was the film that really, I mean, because he had a long career. He's an English actor, and he had a really long career in stage and in a lot of films and stuff, and he was already like, you know, a pro, but this film's the film that really catapulted him and he wasn't that old. I mean, his forties or early, I think he's like in his forties mm. when he passed away. And, uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately like he could have had so many more years left on his career and it would have just been only like bigger and bigger after Jaws. But next there's, uh, you know, his biggest enemy in the film and <laughs> off screen, 
on set was Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hoopa. Oh. Hoopa! Did they have beef? Yeah, massive oh, nice. beef, man. I'll get into beef. Great. Yeah, Universal originally they wanted Je- uh, Jean Michael Vincent, who was this big buff blonde headed hunk. I mean, he was a hunk. He resembled he resembled hunk, uh, hunk. the idea of Hooper from the book. Okay. So it was more of an idea. Who would like a womanizer, you know, like a <laughs> home wrecker. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, you know, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. <laughs> None of my business. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's. I was watching this documentary about Jaws and he was happy to talk about the sex that he was having. <laughs> like, He's like, I don't really Christ. remember George could have all the yeah. sex I was having around the movie. And then he got me too a couple of years ago. So I mean, Did he? Yeah, man. Fucking sexual harassment, panda. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, a couple of other people who were, you know, thought about was John Voight, who's also crappy these days. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, I mean, everyone sucks. Weird face, um, no. A guy who isn't crappy, though. Jeff Bridges. That would have been interesting. That would have been really cool. Really interesting. But, I mean, I'm glad it was Richard Dreyfuss. He's yeah. perfect. And then there's another guy named Timothy Bottoms. They were all considered. But uh, Spielberg was pitched Richard Dreyfus by George Lucas, who who worked with him on uh, American Graffiti. Mm. But Dreyfus didn't want to do it originally. And he was like, it'd be hell to shoot. It's the kind of movie I want to see, but I don't want to be in. You're getting in the way of my shit. <laughs> he, <laughs> well, he knew something that no one knew i guess because it was going to be hell to shoot you say of all the people yeah. involved he's the first one to be like this might be hard to shoot <laughs> <laughs> but yeah after dreyfus had worries about an initial screening of the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz from 1974 the film he had just finished he thought he was the worst actor in the world and he asked for his part back <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dreyfus though. I mean, yeah, I know he's a bit problematic, I guess, in the you know Me Too era. But if I want to just go back to the times when you know, just he was just known for being a great actor. He was mm. awesome in this film. It's just so fucking he's funny. He's so funny. He's yeah. just about shark uh, gibberish and. Like, literal look, gibberish literal as well. Gibberish they, were making, and, they were making shit up. Yeah, and look, <laughs> he'd look cool doing it. He just looked, I don't know, it's just great. I love the, the the denim and the sweater and the little beanie and stuff. Yeah. It's um, great. I love him and Brody running around. He couldn't drive a boat. He couldn't drive a boat? Yeah, he yeah. apparently crashed into that dock like numerous times and then they were just like, all right, let's just start it from you getting out of the boat. Right, <laughs> dude. I could, I've driven a boat. Like, it's not yeah. that hard. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like not everyone's driven a boat. So <laughs> I, I would probably crash into the duck. <laughs> All right, next you got Lorraine Gray as Ellen Brody. Uh, Lorraine Gray was married to Spielberg's mentor and Universal President Sid Sheinberg. He's back. He's back, Sid Sheinberg. So this hiring was seen as political, uh, but Spielberg refutes it, and he was saying that you know she's great actress and uh she's wonderful she would be amazing for the role she's so wonderful in this movie yeah i think the thing was she was just a big tv actress she hadn't done any films really and um she's not done many films period and you know she's done a sequel the boss's wife 
you know, it's, yeah, this it's, is very uh, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon situation <laughs> going on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's great in this film. I think she's like, yeah, just a fun mom. Uh, I love the scene where she's just all like, Oh, you know, Martin, it's his birthday. You know, <laughs> like he's just in the boat. It's his birthday. He's not going to go out in the water. I'll be surprised if he goes out in the water ever again. And, and then he's Cut just to. like looking at that fucking, image of the, the boat with the shark just crashing into the bottom of it. She's like, Michael, did you hear your father get out of that boat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, no, she's great. She brings like a real human warmth to the whole thing and complete yeah. that family. I like the whole thing. And I like that they changed the idea that they moved to the island at the big part of their psyche and mm-hmm. their development. And I love the line. I forget who, where, where it happened. Brody sent it to someone. He's like, it's only an island if you look at it from the ocean. Yeah. And yeah. that's such a great line, but it's like this whole small town mentality. But you just, you have to love their, his family and see what he's sort of fighting for. It's not just, obviously, it's everybody on the island, but it's this life that he has just, this new life that he just got, and he's going to fight for it. Really great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then you got the big baddie of the film. It's Murray Hamilton is. Mayor Vaughn. Oh, goddamn. Boris Johnson. Boris <laughs> Johnson. Donald Trump. Just keep going. Yeah. Literally, he's literally like Boris Johnson in the fucking yeah. movie, though. It's kind really of scary. Is. It's like the rhetoric <laughs> is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's wild, man. Like, like you know, the only thing, at least Boris Johnson never went to the beach and was like, go on, go in. <laughs> 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 or knocked on our house and then like, come on, come out. It's fine. Come on out. Yeah, come on out. Come on out. Hold my going? hand. No more. <laughs> Hey, hey, Dominic, go uh, go take a drive. Take a drive. Test your eyes. Burn a castle. Test your eyes. Is that a shark? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spielberg was a big fan of Murray Hamilton as Mr. Robinson from The Graduate. And he just thought he would be terrific as the mayor of Amity Island. So let's get into some minor roles. The people who helped support it, the film. You have stunt woman turned actress Susan Backlinney who was the first victim, Chrissy Watkins. She basically was, like I said, a stunt woman who specialized in water stunts, and she decided to go out for this role. And when she did that, she apparently was like, oh, I know, I think the whole thing was like, she knew how to swim and she was willing to perform nude. But she knew that like she would have to maybe show her body off at this you know, casting call. Oh, no. So she decided to just include a photo of her nude. <laughs> she just sent a nude photo yeah, into her folder. And the guy just opens up her like portfolio. Hi. And he just sees this no nude photo. And he's just like, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it works. Spielberg was just like, well, can she act? <laughs> yeah. Like Spielberg gives a shit. <laughs> Temple of doom. Uh, <laughs> Deputy Hendrix was played by Jeffrey Kramer. Uh, he'd go on to become an Emmy award-winning producer of television. I think he did like Ally McBeal and tons of different shows. You have writer Carl Gottlieb, who I mentioned would make his way into this film. Uh, so he's the guy who came in to help add some levity to the script, but he was also an actor, like I said, and he would play Meadows, the newspaper reporter, which I forgot to mention in the book. Meadows is a huge character. He's like the chief's liaison between like the mayor 
and that whole seedy side to, you know, to tell the chief everything that's going on. And he goes between a lot of people. It's really dirty. Um, mm, dirty. <laughs> but when Carl Gottlieb was writing this film, basically he was just like, you know, I'm starting to see that this character is really unimportant. So he sort of wrote himself out of the film, but he is in the film. He's, he's seen, I think at the meeting, um, like the town, the town hall meeting. meeting. And then he also is seen on the dock and he's like there with the woman who's taken the photo of the tiger shark. What? What? Yeah. Who's that guy, man? That's what <laughs> Yeah. So what? that's, uh, that's the newspaper reporter. Cool. All right, so then Peter Benchley, the author of the book and the first screenplay, he actually made an appearance as the TV news reporter who's on the beach. Do you remember that? Bit? Yeah, yeah. I always love when authors cameo in their own movie, like uh, Effie Hinton, who wrote At the Outsiders and Rumblefish. Yeah. She's yeah. in Rumblefish as a prostitute, <laughs> just <laughs> oh. on the corner. And I always thought that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, and then there was Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kittner, and Jeffrey Voorhees. No relation to, <laughs> to Jason. <Chasen>. Yeah. <laughs> no relation. That's a different lake. <laughs> yeah, different lake. But that that's Alex Kittner. But I read that Lee Fierro, decades after the film came out, she went to a seafood restaurant, and there was an item on the menu called the Alex Kittner Sandwich. And oh. she commented that she had played Alex's mother in the film. And then the owner rushes out to meet her and it was Jeffrey Voorhees. <laughs> and he was like, I haven't seen you since this movie was made. <laughs> we and made it. It's like this, this amazing, like, you know, lovely story. It's That's like so really great. Cow, cow, cow. Die, 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 die. <laughs> shock, 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 shock. <laughs> smack, 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 smack. She, brody, brody, brody. she smacked the shit out of him. That's a good smack. <laughs> She smacked the shit out of I mean, him. he fucking I think hates she, that. She said she did it like 19 times. And a lot of people kept coming up to um, to Roy Scheider and they were just like, man, she's smacking you really hard. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> all right. So let's get to the big star of the film. Fuck all the humans. It's the shark. So initially, the studio wanted to train a shark. No, you're fucking with me. <laughs> That's not true. Fucking serious. They wanted to train a shark. And they were just like, <laughs> yeah, you can't what? train a shark. <laughs> I could put a little collar on it. Yeah, This is not a dolphin, bro. You cannot train a shark. <laughs> Would you give it treats and shit? You know. <laughs> what? Yeah. The fuck? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect one. Jesus Christ! I kind of wish they did. Yeah, that would have been great. Try it out. Yeah. They do some. They do some interesting stuff, though. Don't worry. Uh, realizing that that was a dumb idea, <laughs> they decided to create a mechanical shark, which may have been a dumb idea as well. Uh, with the shark being named Bruce, and that was after Spielberg's lawyer. And like a lawyer, Bruce was a prick. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. The shark in Finding Nemo as well. Yeah. You'll find out why Bruce was a prick. I mean, he looks cool, but yeah. he was a prick. Uh, three mechanical Bruces were designed and made by art director John Alves, which each of them had specialized functions. One of the shark was open on the right side so that it could like turn left. And then the other, the other one was open on the left side so it could turn right. And all, you know, by open, I mean like it's, 
you could see all of its insides, all the mechanical parts and stuff. Yeah. And then they had one that was fully skinned, and that one was mostly like when it revealed the head and full body shots and stuff. So each shark cost approximately $250,000. During pre-production, this is a great story. Director Steven Spielberg, accompanied by Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, and John Milius, visited uh, the effects shop. No Brian De Palma. <laughs> no Brian De Palma. Uh, where Bruce the shark was being constructed. And Lucas stuck his head in the shark's mouth to see how it worked, looking at all the mechanics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as a joke, Milius and Spielberg snuck to the controls to make the jaw clamp shut on Lucas's head. And unfortunately, and probably rather prophetically, considering the later technical difficulties of the production, the shark malfunctioned. (laughs) And Lucas got stuck in the mouth. And went killed instantly. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's why George Lucas looks so weird now, because it's just a different man. (laughs) it's like paul mccartney (laughs) completely different paul you know his face is much fatter now yeah (laughs) paul is dead so if you play george you play jaws backwards if you rewind it really fast it just says george lucas was killed by the shark (laughs) how long but how long would he stuck in the show. I don't know. They didn't say, but they were That's like, good to know, though. they finally got him free, but then they all ran out of the workshop like like little kids afraid that they had just done some major damage to the creature. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so the film was shot on location at Martha's Vineyard as opposed to in a studio like inside of a tank like most sane people would do. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard was picked because they wanted a small tourist town vibe, but also because they were wanting to shoot on the open ocean and the surrounding ocean had a sandy bottom that never dropped below 35 feet for about 12 miles out. So basically the mechanical shark could easily just be operated and you wouldn't see the shoreline. So that's why they chose that. I mean, it's insane. It's so insane. (laughs) But it looks fucking incredible. It looks it's worth it's, it. Like it's, I, it's I insane. remember hearing a thing. There's a great um, smodcast with Kevin Smith. There's a recent episode where he interviewed uh, Joe Alves, the production designer. Yeah. Um, he talked about jump. You know, working on the movie. Could he jumped on it just before Spielberg? Yeah. And Spielberg was just very adamant about we're not making a cheap fucking shark B-flick horror movie thing in yeah. the back of someone's house in a fucking yeah, yeah. pool. We're going to shoot this on the ocean and you're asking for trouble. Like he said, those wide shots were impossible to fucking get because there were actual, you know, fishermen and people, yeah. tourists yeah. riding around and they had to, would have to clear them out. They're like, no, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking <laughs> rich people in the tourist town, they're like, we don't want a Hollywood movie here. Yeah, I mean, they're in Martha's Vineyard. It's like just outside of Boston. You know, it's just like rich people <laughs> galore. Yeah, like Everyone's surrounding see. them, showing like, you know, they're just watching all this crazy stuff. There's all these boats and stuff. Yeah. And they're just watching all these like, and there's a story about the very first time that they, you know, put the shark in the water 
like they, it was supposed to pop out of the water its head coming out first and it ended up coming out tail first <laughs> not a scary as soon as they stuck that shark in the water problems began like the mechanics of the shark the water just ate it up right yeah they had only been tested in fresh water and uh <laughs> the salt water was just like just ruining and messing up everything <laughs> it was corroding the shark uh, i think like everything about it was just fucked um and they were constantly having to fix it every single day yeah so it apparently sunk one of the first times they put it out like into the water uh it's not it a, yeah it was just a daily struggle with this shark not working and people were joking that you could hear radios all over the island announcing that bruce was broken again <laughs> I don't understand how Spielberg didn't like fucking kill himself to make it <laughs> yeah, no. like just pulling his hair out. Yeah. To make matters worse, Time Magazine had snuck in and gotten a photo of the shark, which they published, and it happened to be one of the sharks where the size the side was exposed, and yeah, you could just the see <laughs> the open side revealing all the mechanics. And and Spielberg was just like, he just was like, man, if people saw this they're not going to want to come see a film knowing that it's a mechanical shark yeah so he just thought he was screwed but yeah like i said there's all these issues like so this shark was supposed to be from the beginning of the film you were supposed to see this shark you were supposed to see him coming out of the water and eating people probably even chrissy watkins the first victim like you were supposed to see this shark and he wasn't working so they were like what are we going to do how are we going to do this this is horrible this is the worst this looks like shit let's go back to that training the shark idea huh (laughs) (laughs) but because of all the issues with bruce spielberg's just like i have to take a page out of hitchcock's book go for the suspense and he decided not to show the shark which you don't fully see the shark until 81 minutes into the film yeah which leads them on the big hunt at sea and you know Basically, for the rest of the film, they relied on the implication. The implication. Spielberg was like, think about it. Brody's out in the middle of nowhere with some dudes he barely knows. And he looks around and he's like, what, what does he see? He's like, nothing, nothing but open ocean. And he's like, oh, there's nowhere for me to run. What am I going to do? Say no? Because if Brody said no, then the answer is obviously no. Obviously I mean, no. Yeah, obviously it's no, obviously but, no. You know. The thing is, he's not going to say no. He never say no because of the implication. <laughs> Thank you. That was my TED talk. <laughs> that was great. If they fucking remade John, then uh, fucking Glenn Harriton would fucking be on that boat for sure. Is that why they used the barrel? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of the things when they were at sea, um, the barrels were used like just to give you an idea of where the shark was so without, without having being... to show the shark. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know these sort of things created more problems. Uh, we'll we'll get into that in a second. But you know at the beginning of the film, when Spielberg decided, okay, well the shark's not working, I have to you know do a lot of different techniques, and I wanted to show a lot of close-up shots underwater. And at the water's level to give the idea of the shark's perspective. To do that, cinematographer Bill Butler, he created a special camera box that would allow this to happen. And that hadn't been done before. And now that's like a really big, important piece of like film equipment. Yeah. A box that you could put your camera in to like (laughs) see underwater and stuff. Uh, Chrissy Watkins' death. So 
that ended up being like pretty powerful like way to start the film and even more powerful that you don't see the shark i think and that's achieved that was achieved by 10 guys pulling her back and forth by cables really going for it <laughs> yeah really going for it and she was she was like in this documentary and she was just like you know the way i was screaming they wouldn't have known if anything was wrong <laughs> she's like wow she's a really good actor <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently Spielberg was in the water with her and he's the one who pulled her down by another cable. He pulls her underwater. He was like, I'm going to finish this. <laughs> it's like Tarantino <laughs> choking out the <laughs> yeah. woman on the glory part. And apparently if, you know, pulling like a really probably underpaid actress who had to get nude to, her death. to get killed at the very f- beginning of the film wasn't bad enough. <laughs> Spielberg decided to dub her screams by pouring water down her throat while they were doing this. So she would waterboard it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Uh, Alice Kittner's death. All right. So basically the shark was supposed to uh, come down and clamp down on the kid. You were supposed to see him come out of the water, clamp down, and he was supposed to be on this raft. And then there was going to be like a dummy there that the shark clamps down on. And uh, the raft was rigged to explode with blood flying everywhere. The boy was supposed to go underwater for like 12 seconds, but he kept coming up due to nerves. Mm-hmm. He was a little boy and he was messing up the shot. So they had a diver that would pull him down and like <laughs> keep him underwater. Okay. You just, keep him underwater. <laughs> just going to pull this little boy down, yeah. hold him underwater. Like, luckily, they did, I think, give him oxygen under the water, but still, it's just. Doesn't matter. At that point, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But also, a thing that happened was they were worried that, like, the shark chomping down and you see in this dummy and there's blood going everywhere, like, that the sensors would be like, oh, God. (laughs) Like, this film got a PG. And, like, Imagine I mean, if you're just showing, like, because oh, Quint's death is fucking brutal. It's gory. I mean, there's not many moments, but when yeah. they happen, they're really fucking violent. Yeah. I mean, that, that death of of uh, the boy, I mean, Alex Kentner, as much as as little was shown, it's fucking, wow, it's brutal. Yeah. It just explodes. <laughs> it's like in <laughs> blood and guts and everything going everywhere. And it's nuts. But Pretty metal. what happened was like the shark was supposed to come out of the water, but it wasn't coming out of the water. It just kept tipping over. But then they realized that when it tipped over, it actually looked more like a shark anyway. The shark would like roll over. Yeah. Yeah. Because the shark would do that, you know, when it bit onto something and took it under. Uh, but they realized that they couldn't keep the first bit of the shot because it was just too fucking graphic. So they, that's why it cuts really quick and just shows that like the shark tip. Again, way better. Cuts away. Yeah. So all the mess ups that kept happening with the shark made this film so much better. (laughs) Uh, And then that leads to that incredible Hitchcock dolly zoom shot. Like, which is, Oh, with Brody on the beach. Yeah, it's yeah. basically the psycho shot, but it's like oh, the, one of the best uses of that shot. Like it's amazing, and the build up in Craig Lee not oh. listening to anyone on the yeah. beach. Yeah, and that's then a bad happened. hat, Harry. <laughs> yeah, bad hat. Yeah, God, man. Yeah. Oh, that shot's so my kid on the beach too. <laughs> yeah. It's just like Maybe. everything about that whole that whole moment is just like it builds so much with the tension, you know, like because you're just sitting there and you're. You you know something's going on because you're living through the chief, 
Exactly. And you feel his tension and everyone else is just so oblivious. And then you have the mayor just being such a dick <laughs> and like all these people just like, oh, they're so annoying. They're and still then, able to hold the tension even though there's a bunch of like uh, screaming extra laughing and they get out of the water. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're running. <laughs> we're in a movie. <laughs> like they get away with it. Cool. Yeah, I think it's because you just don't realize like because of how ridiculous that scene is anyway. I mean, he kills a dog as well before that that scene even happens. Jordan's like, <laughs> Cold-blooded. All right, so I should have said this earlier, but fine. You see this girl behind me that's on the billboard? Yeah, the one who's yelling, help, shark. Yeah, so the girl that's on the billboard was modeled after... Brian De Palma's girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Brian De Palma alert. I just had to look really hard. I was just like, there's going to be De Palma involved in this somewhere. And everything that I kept coming up with was like Brian De Palma sees Jaws and hopes that carries as big of a hit. <laughs> Spoiler, that was it wasn't. So many, it wasn't. Yeah. It was a great film. Uh, and he admits that it wasn't a, as big of a hit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Brian De Palma, like I was looking it up and that's all I kept seeing. And then I finally stumbled across this sign that that's based on Brian De Palma's girlfriend. Amazing. <laughs> Brian De Palma, thank you for finding your way into an episode again. Every uh, You episode. were sorely missed last week. <laughs> you can find him anywhere in Stonewall. <laughs> no, I mean that was that'd be reaching. That's a reach, but, yeah. uh, hey, hit that guy kind of sounds like Brian De Palma. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. oh, I'm glad we did it. All right, so when they're out on the sea, we're out on the sea now. They had a big barge that housed the sharks and all the equipment for the sharks. They dubbed the SS Garage Sale. <laughs> <laughs> It's just wild because they had to go like, I think it was like 12 miles out every time they wanted to like, if they needed something yeah. from shore, they had to go all the way back in. But they had this whole big barge set up and then this fleet of boats that they were shooting on. But that proved really difficult because most of the shots had to be done handheld because of the movement of the sea. You mm-hmm. couldn't just stick it on a, a, a tripod. Uh, they would lose whole days just trying to like maneuver the shark into position. And then when they would get it into position, like the sun would be in the wrong place or something <laughs> like, you know, everything was just wrong. Uh, they would also have issues with tides and currents, moving boats out of, out of place, messing up shots. There was weather issues, of course. Um, and then, as you said, sailboats and fishing boats would all just start coming into shot when they were shooting. And then they have to wait for them to get out of frame. And it would just take ages for them to get out of frame because they're like, we're out here searching for a shark. We cannot have fishermen going by in the background Hello. or sailboats yeah, going by having fun. Because this is, yeah, this is not, this is not the story. The yeah. story is this deep sea adventure, like, you know, looking for the shark mm-hmm. and no one from that town wants to go in the water. They're afraid to go in the water. But no, we just have this sailboat just going by. Uh, so yeah, they would have like issues. And it was like sort of this thing where it was like a sailboat goes by and is finally out of shot. And they're like, great, 
and then another one comes. <laughs> <laughs> and at times, I think they were just looking and they could see a group of them coming and they were like, all right, let's just shoot right now because it's clear. <laughs> let's just shoot real quick and then, then wait for them to come. So if things weren't hard enough, we want to make them a little bit harder. So they built two of these Orca, the Orca ships, which is Quint's ship, the Orca. They built two of them. One that was designed to sink and then the other that was just the primary boat. So while shooting the scene where the shark goes under the boat, they had a cable attached to the boat and then that was attached to a speedboat that was speeding out, like it was out of frame and it was speeding off to pull the cable and that would give the effect to the boat just rocking really hard. <laughs> and oh, no. when the, the speedboat did that, <laughs> it pulled a plank out from the bottom of the boat and this is the primary boat, not the sinking boat. And the primary boat started to sink. <laughs> okay, so now we have two thinking boats. <laughs> <laughs> so they scrambled to get the cameras off the ship. I think they dropped a canister of film in the water. Luckily, that was salvaged with using like fresh water and some chemicals or something. They sent that off, and luckily they didn't lose any footage. But uh, there's that. Fa- there's a famous story though, because Spielberg's yelling over the megaphones, "Get, get the actors out of the water! Get the actors out of the water!" And then, uh, you know, with water up to his knees and his expensive Nagara recording device, like sound recording device held over the the top of his head, sound engineer John Carter notoriously yelled, fuck the actors, save the sound department. (laughs) Oh, man, this shoot was fucking wild. I mean, I had everything but an actual shark attack. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, man. While they were shooting, the budget just, they went way over the budget. Uh, it was skyrocketing to $9 million at the time, which still just sounds incredibly yeah. cheap. But in 1975, nothing. for a really young director as well, and inflation and all that, that'd be roughly about $50 million in today. So you can imagine a, a uh, studio getting pretty miffed at a young director wasting that much money. And they ended up being out there for 159 days. <laughs> And it was supposed to be like 55, so nuts. I mean, they should have just given uh, them time. The whole thing was like rushed, right? Like literally immediately yeah. after the book came out. Um, like they, again, in that uh, interview, they were, they were supposed to have like a year and a half, two years to work on the shark. But then the book came out yeah. and it was a big success. But they were like, actually, you have like six months. So it's just like literally half the time. <laughs> yeah. And it like doubled, tripled the amount of time they would actually have to shoot. So yeah, I mean, it's it's wild like how they rushed this. I mean, there was a funny story that when they finally finished the film, my like, Richard Dreyfus was like doing an interview like where he's just like very similar to this whole thing with the uh the Duddy Kravitz film that he did mm-hmm. where he was thought he was terrible in it and he's like saying saying all this stuff because it was such a hell shoot that it was just like, "Oh, I'm going to be terrible in Jaws." <laughs> It's not Steven Spielberg's fault. It's Universal Pictures' fault because they did not give him any time. The script was nowhere near done. My character wasn't ready to be fleshed out onto the screen yet. And if I was terrible in Jaws, that's the reason why. And then it's like, oh, so you're going to be bad in Jaws? (laughs) You know, like that does not help at all. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, Spielberg was constantly, you know, thinking that he was going to get fired. He kept his cool as much as he could on set, but apparently, like, you know, he was just, he'd spent a lot of nights alone in his cabin on the island and he was 
apparently biting his fingernails a bit. You know, he was, he was nervous. And uh, rumors would be going around that he would never get another job and Universal were going to pull the plug. And apparently he slept with celery under his pillow. For luck. Explain the reason. I don't know. Historically, a lucky thing. I looked into it. I didn't look really hard, but maybe it's lucky. I don't know. Maybe somebody could tell me, but I can say Uh, snack time. uh, (laughs) Snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Lockdown. Great. I need to go get my snack. So hold on. Sorry, man. Snack time. Snack time. Now, I do not have a celery stick. (laughs) Because, yeah, I don't don't get it. I don't know what celery (laughs) has to do with luck. Um, You can let me know. I don't know. But what did you bring today? I have some Ben and Jerry ice cream. Oh, Fish food. Fish food. Like, nice. With the pH, right? With a pH with the little chocolate fish in there. And let me get a good bite. Mm. <laughs> brain free. Cold. <laughs> yeah, brain free. <laughs> I couldn't keep it here. It would have melted. Yeah, fair enough. And what you got? I've got Swedish fish. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, assorted Fat-free, soft and chewy candy. Sounds delicious. <laughs> Very healthy snack time we got going. Oh my god, they smell so bad. <laughs> they smell like fish. Oh, I've, I, that's what you want from your sweet. I haven't had uh, <laughs> Swedish fish in a long time. They are like just gummy candies, if you don't know. But they're uh, big in America. I don't really ever see them over here that often. But, uh, I was expecting you to have like fish crackers or something. What clam clam chowder crackers? <laughs> yeah, goldfish. <laughs> goldfish, that's it. That you're enjoying the treat. Man, they're really chewy. <laughs> they're big, man. Really chewy. Might take a while. They're good though. Um, I don't know what I'd give them on a scale. I think I, I'll give them a two, and that's not bad. I wow. mean, two out of five. It's, I'm not, you know, it's saying it bad, but I like a little bit of a a tang, a bit mm-hmm. of a sourness to, yeah, like, you know, tang. Sour Patch Kids or, you know, that's, that's some good gummy candies. But yeah, these kind of taste like Sour Patch Kids without the, the sour. sour. <laughs> <laughs> it's all sweet, no sour. Oh. Fair enough. How's that fish um, food going down? I mean, it's fucking great. I love fish food and I love ice cream. It's not my favorite Ben and Jerry flavor. That would be cookie dough, obviously. Yeah. But this is up there. Um, I'd give it, I don't know, like a, a three or a four. Three or four. Not bad. Um, not bad. Yeah. I mean, not bad. Not bad. Good. you got to give them an extra star 
just for being badass guys right now. Ben and Jerry's are out there exactly. being a really good corporation that we can all get. That's why I'm eating so much of their product. <laughs> I can, it's the only thing I can like feel good about, <laughs> you know, consuming. I'm going to go broke, but I'm going to go broke happy. All right. Broke happy, yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> all right. So another food product is uh, beef. Now, we're not talking about actual beef here, but we're talking about beef, like drama beef. You wanted to hear drama about beef. Robert Scholl and Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, well, finally. They couldn't stand each other. <laughs> they argued all the time, which resulted in a lot of good tension on screen. What for the character? This happens yeah. a lot, I think, when we're doing this podcast. You'll start to see that like two characters that have beef on screen sometimes have beef off screen. And the directors just kind of let them go at it. <laughs> I don't know. Makes for a better chemistry, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So they're they're you know going tit for tat a lot. I think you know uh, Dreyfus did admit that Robert Scholl was really lovable all set, but as soon as he got on set, he was possessed by a troll and he was a little troublemaker. <laughs> so he was always kind of like you know just messing around and stuff like there was some scene where Richard Dreyfus is standing there like you know where he's at the stern of the ship and there's like the um the the ropes going around like and they're trying to pull the shark or whatever yeah. and uh yeah apparently he's off camera with like a water hose just like spraying water in his face <laughs> i don't know he's just doing like crazy shit uh <laughs> <laughs> but basically, when the reviews came out for the apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, Richard Dreyfus had a big turnaround where he thought the film he, it was going to be terrible. He was going to be terrible on the film, but he started to get good reviews and he started to read them out because it was like a full page spread in New York Times. And he was boasting oh, about be that guy. He was boasting about how he's a big deal and how he should be like given all these like, you know, gifts and people should, you know, eating grapes out of people's hands and. <laughs> and he was just getting under Shaw's skin, so that really just like amped up their feud. Yeah, so it was pretty funny. I mean, like, I don't know, Richard Dreyfus is I don't know, that he start talking about how he was like after that film came out and people saw it and they knew who he was, they were like really into him and that's where that whole like having a lot of sex and stuff came. Uh like okay. he was going wild and it sounds pretty gross, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't until the USS Indianapolis scene was filmed that the whole crew oh my finally God. realized that they were making something amazing and they relaxed a lot. Uh, but Quint's USS Indianapolis speech wasn't, wasn't in the novel. In the backstory for Quint being a sailor and everything on the ship appeared by an uncredited rewrite of the script by Howard Sackler and later writer-director and Spielberg's friend who... Helped Spielberg trap George Lucas inside the shark back when it was in pre-production. John Milius, he expanded the character's characteristic uh, into a multi-page monologue. And that's when it was whittled down to what it is, what you see. It was whittled down by Robert Shaw himself, actually, who was a playwright. Um, So he did that sort of like on the day of shooting, I think, (laughs) because everything's done last minute. Yeah. So, Shaw initially, he tried to shoot this scene drunk. He just went up to Spielberg and was like, uh, can, you know, we just, 
get a little drunk, you know, just be a little bit better. They're drinking in that thing. Yeah. That makes sense. But so, no. <laughs> so they go to shoot it and everything, and he's just doing take after take after take. And Dreyfus is like, just said it was the day that never ended. And he was just like, <laughs> in an alternate universe, that day is still going on. <laughs> yeah. He's still there when he goes to sleep. <laughs> so he was so drunk that he had to be carried out by crew. And they were just like, Jesus Christ. The next day, he called Steven Spielberg, or maybe even like three in the morning, and he was just like, how bad did I embarrass myself? And he came back the next day to shoot it, stone cold sober, and he nailed it. But I don't know if some of the scene is mixed, like with when he was drunk. Because apparently some people who were there were saying that you couldn't tell. He's just like, he was that good of an, an actor. I mean, even drunk, he can deliver one yeah. of the greatest scenes. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks yeah. ago. It's my favorite monologue. Yeah. monologue. But it's one of the great scenes and one of the great movies ever. And it still gives me goosebumps when I watch it. Yeah. It's still it's a masterclass in how you control tone and emotion within a scene because it changes so many times and it leads to a huge like action moment. Yeah. Um, but also it's such a character moment at the same time, delving into his backstory for the first time and how it pertains to the position there. Then it's just great. It just really works. And it's like, it's just the Jordan is like, you know, such a big deal for being like the first blockbuster and people still take a lot of cues from it, but they forget to keep stuff like that in the movie. Yeah scenes like that that really make it that make you care about the character otherwise you don't give a shit if they fucking get eaten by a shark yeah that's why like yeah seeing Brody with his family and hanging out with his kid at its lowest moment is important um and they're all great they're all great and I think it's such a great thing I can't I can't say anything about it yeah I mean bad about it to be honest I mean that just goes into like what I think is perfect about Spielberg himself is like mm. Especially in that period. I mean, that period of films. And I mean, he's still great. Like, I think to this day with certain things that just feel very Spielberg is just like the way he can direct kids. Like few directors yeah. can really do that. Um, and just those just real moments that like just I don't know, like you just really get in touch with that character. Like that moment um, that you're talking about, you know, with Roy Scheider playing with, you know, Brody playing with his son. That was something that was done in between takes. Like they were just playing around. Copying him. Yeah. They they did that in between takes, just playing around and Spielberg saw it and was like, he knew, Oh man, we got to put that into the film. So they did it again. And, you know, and then this, this whole USS Indianapolis scene, I mean, the amount of people who were in the second world war and on that ship who saw that and was just like, he told our story like like they told our story that's amazing like they they all really loved robert shaw as well because he was known for being the person who helped whittle that story down like the the speech down and it's just incredible like one of the best performances in film history i think is quint robert shaw is quint and that that scene alone just like gives me goosebumps man like it like it's insane how good it is and you just find yourself just like lost and entranced in what he's saying and feeling every moment, like, you know, like just imagining yourself out there in the, in the Pacific ocean 
just bobbling like along and just hoping that you're not going to be the next one to get dragged under by the sharks and like man like oh god like it's it's crazy to think like because i think the whole point of that was just to like give him more of a reason more of a drive to like you know be out there and be so obsessed he's getting revenge yeah Yeah, for something that's not even related to what's going on yeah they all have motivation definitely yeah all right, so let's get into something that's so silly. So there was a second unit in Australia that was b- deployed to get actual footage of the great white shark, and, if, and they wanted to film the infamous cage scene with Hooper. So the biggest shark the team could find there was only 15 feet. Yeah, I kind of know the story. It's so good. Yeah, so they yeah. decided, they, they told the crew back in L.A. about it and everything, or Martha's Vineyard, I guess, whichever. The, you know, they talked to Universal. They're like, hey, you know, this is a problem. And Zanuck was just like, huh, how about we just take a little person yeah. and put him in a small shark cage and that'll make the shark look massive. Look bigger. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Because the book is supposed to be, what, like 25 feet in the book? Yeah. Something like that. So, and obviously they made Bruce gigantic. Like mm-hmm. Bruce was about 20, 25 feet. So yeah, they they did that. They they got an actor who was four foot nine, uh, and a really small cage, and they put it into the water, and they filmed some of that that shot. But there was an issue though, because before the four foot nine actor had gone into the cage, uh, the shark attacked the ship, and he jumped on the cage and destroyed the cage, and they filmed that. They got the footage. And they were so excited and they told, you know, Spielberg and everything. They, they, you know, were so excited. Spielberg loved the idea. He was like, oh, I can't wait to see this. I, this is definitely going on in the film. And then Zanuck was like, but was the guy in the cage? And they're like, no, of course not. No, it was safe. He's fine. He's fine. And he was like, no. Yeah, but the, the footage is unusable. <laughs> like, because he's supposed, supposed to be, to be in, in the cage. cage. That's when he's supposed to die. <laughs> so then they decided from that moment, Hooper is going to just, you know, going to survive by escaping the cage, which changed we have the whole such a story. Good shot. <laughs> which That's I think really is funny. great though, because I love the ending that Hooper is actually still alive and he just like swims off. And it's like, cause it's so, it's like, it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth. I don't think it would have left a bad taste in your mouth if Hooper died. And, you know, I think today it would have been even more interesting if uh, they didn't show Hooper survive and then he just appears and he did survive and it would be like a holy shit kind of shock but they show you that he goes down and he hides in the in the reef so uh you know that he was still alive but anyway it doesn't matter like the 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 book leaves such a bad taste in your mouth about these characters so it's kind (laughs) of nice that like hooper and and Brody are really good friends. Get to the end it's just really i mean quint has to go and he has to go like that yeah Otherwise, he won't kind of be happy. <laughs> so it's like Paul in the Five Blood, yeah. where he has to like go out on the most violent note possible because all he knows is war, and yeah. like this guy, all he knows is you know being eaten by sharks. <laughs> it's like it's gonna. I'm gonna let him finish the job that started years ago in yeah. Indianapolis. What do you think of uh, Quint's death? Would you have rather the way he went, he went down in the film, which is incredibly gruesome, mm-hmm. or the way it was in the book by being dragged under just drowning basically no i like the allusion to 
um, Moby Dick, but I know I, if the fucking shark movie, yeah, you need to show me the shark and you need to show me like him at least kill one person, <laughs> like really, like visually. And I just, I, I like that in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the difference between it less, you know, d- describing that it's sort of um, indulgent on the page, but yeah. on the screen, it's just, I think it's great. It's so it, brutal. <laughs> it's so brutal, but it's real. We're dealing yeah. with a fucking shark and we're not going to play it safe. If yeah. you're going to play with fire, you're going to get fucking burnt. Yeah. If you want to go shark hunting, you might get bitten fucking half. <laughs> it's one of these amazing things, though, where you see, you know, sharks like in, in on YouTube. I've seen before, like sharks on people's boats and, it, you know, real sharks on people's boats that they've somehow yeah. caught. Like, and it's fucking scary, but like, uh, this is so absurd though, because the shark is so big and, uh, when it just you know, capsized, yeah, like, it, you know, and it's making the boat sink and like, yeah, like him just chomping. And that's one of the moments where, like I said, like his jaw looks really funny. It's just the way you could tell sort of that it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, mechanical, mechanical but yeah. at the same time. It's so fucking brutal, and it's so yeah. scary that you just don't think about it. It's so scary, like you're kind of half ch- watching it. So yeah, it just chopping yeah. him in half, and like you know, Robert Shaw just Put screaming it. with blood like coming out of his mouth, and just like trying to hang on. <sighs> and he's got the knife, and he doesn't he like cut his he's hands like stabbing or something him. like. And, yeah, yeah, it's just like ah, oh, so scary. <laughs> it's really scary. Yeah. So for the big epic finale, they accomplish this like you know, the blown up the shark with the tank and everything. Basically they had the shark head filled with fake blood, calamari <laughs> chunks and explosives. Yeah. So when it just explodes, just bits fly everywhere. It's just fucking squid all over the place. That must have been amazing yeah. after like such a long, horrible shoot. And you're like, oh, we're going to fucking blow this thing yeah. up. It's going to be so sad. It's like, you know, at the end of school where you burn all your textbooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Spielberg, like most seniors of their final day, final year of school, senior skip day, he skipped the final day of shooting and he did not shoot that final shot. He allowed the crew really? to do it without him. Uh, because I think by that point he was just mentally fried and he was just like, if this doesn't work and this is finally it, the last thing I we need to shoot. It, yeah. It's like, Oh God, I, I, I can't. Uh, so he didn't come in, he didn't shoot. Uh, and that became a trademark of his career. He largely doesn't shoot the final scene of his film nowadays. And that's just like his trademark. So yeah, pretty interesting. Um, that's cool. You know, the famous line, like, you're going to need a bigger boat. That was, uh, apparently Carl Gottlieb said that Roy Scheider ad-libbed that. And it was just like, so amazing. They were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why like, did they even bother writing the movie? All yeah. the best stuff seemed to be improvised by the actors. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what about the, like, George had my favorite kill line. Like, right before he shoots the barrel and the shark explodes. Yeah. You know, the smile, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And with that, written as well i that, don't like, know i didn't see anything about that but i mean maybe that was in the script like it you know it preludes a decade full of horrible one-liners by arnold schwarzenegger yeah. and, and stuff but that is the best one yeah and it works so well film. you don't you don't think of it as being like a 
a joke, you know. It's just like Could, by that point you're like with him. You're like yeah, fucking, fucking yeah, kill this man. fucking shark. Yeah, kill the shark. <laughs> well, the you're gonna be need a bigger boat line. The reason why I saved this to this point is because we're getting into a little bit of post production here. When they were doing some test screenings, uh, they basically had to raise the the audio of that line because it was getting lost with the audience screaming so loud. <laughs> When the oh, shark yeah, pops it, out of the water, because it was yeah, just like that bit. one of the first times where you properly get that face. Like, I know he pops out a little bit more in the scene um, in the pond where he kills that like boating instructor or whatever when all mm-hmm. the boys are in the pond, and that yeah. that's one of the first times you properly get to see the shark. Um, but yeah, when he pops out of the water, that's just such a classic scene. And Judge Roy Shy did like jump up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like really yeah. hanging out of mouth. Definitely. And shout out to our Name the Frame winners who yeah. won with that frame. And then they also recorded a version of them doing that scene that really and sent it to us. And it's out on our socials. So maybe I'll share that with this episode. Uh, Spielberg also paid $3,000 of his own money in post-production to shoot the Ben Gardner scene, the famous scene where they go and find Ben Gardner's boat and uh, they end up finding the big tooth and that's when <sighs> they realize how big the shark actually is. That but, bit always scared me. Yeah. It's like I, the biggest jump scare for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that fucking face coming yeah. out of nowhere. Oh my God. So Spielberg, basically, he was just like, I, I'm really greedy. I just wanted one more scare. So yeah. <laughs> they went to this pool and they filled it with like powdered milk to give it the effect of... Uh, the Atlantic ocean being really milky and murky. And, uh, he, he basically joked after they did this though, that like they were so afraid of that scare that like, by the time they actually showed the shark, no one cared. <laughs> like it was just like, that was the big scare. So yeah, was, it was pretty yeah. crazy. All right. So we can't talk about jaws without talking about the music. John Williams. He originally played the score for director, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg laughed and he said, that's funny, John. Uh, Really? But uh, what really did you have in mind for the theme of Jaws? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) And then Spielberg later said that without Williams' score, the movie would not have been half as successful because, like, according to Williams, it just jump-started his career. And it's so simple. Just the E and the F. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's so fucking good. That's so iconic. I mean, how many films have ripped that fucking score off? Yeah. Completely. No, John Williams, like, we've, again, we did it recently, I think on Star Wars, but just like, like, hands down, like, the greatest composer, just the amount of iconic things in this yeah. one. It's so simple and so minimalist, and that's not, like, most of his stuff, though even he knew when to, sort of, like, rein it in a bit. Yeah. You don't need, but yeah. that, it just, it's amazing. You know, it'd be. That film, I can't imagine that film without it. Feels like sort of the white noise of the water. Mm-hmm. And like that score constantly there. Yeah, definitely. It's great. It's just so much tension with that score. It just builds so much. You just feel it. It's like, oh. Yeah, and you need it, especially if you're not seeing a fucking shark anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, why am I scared? <laughs> Goddamn music. So marketing for this film was tremendous. Like there was a big media blitz for it. There's trailer spots all over the place. And they had that amazing poster by Roger Costello. Apparently he did the book cover as well. Like originally the book cover the same. Uh, it's not, it wasn't originally, but they redid the book cover and then he did this amazing poster and it was just like, Oh my God. And they slapped that thing on everything. And it was one of the first films that really started going crazy with merchandise. Like they had shark like toys and mugs and t-shirts and completely misunderstanding and, the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was everywhere. Um, and then Universal, they push, they pushed it big with the release too. I mean, Jaws was the first film to screen in over four hundred theaters, and Jaws opened on June twentieth, nineteen seventy five. Like I said, it was a big delay. It was originally supposed to be released to theaters in Christmas nineteen seventy four. But because filming ran way over, uh, it was pushed back to the summer the following year. And back in 1975, summer was traditionally like when the worst movies were dumped into theaters. Because now it's the other way around. Yeah, Americans <laughs> typically uh, enjoyed the outdoors instead. But the film was so good, the beachgoers like flocked to see it. And then they never went to the beach ever again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the movie became the highest grossing film of all time at that point. And it became the first film ever to gross a hundred million dollars at the box office, and that was when the summer blockbuster was born. Mm-hmm. Um, its record wouldn't be broken again until Star Wars in nineteen seventy seven. So it had two years of supremacy over the box office. It destroyed box office numbers. It showed forever. Like Spielberg was like, yeah, I went to, you know, all around the country. There would be like the film would be showing at theaters everywhere. And then, you know, months and months and months later, it would still be showing the next summer. It was still showing. It's so, still showing now. Yeah. We show it. Yeah. I mean, we show it every like July 4th and it showed like recently where Jaws and Jurassic Park were battling out another Spielberg film battling out like very recently when cinemas just started to reopen and drive-ins and all that sort of stuff. It's yeah. still a go-to blockbuster because it is the original. Better. Yeah, it is. I, <laughs> I love. It. I absolutely love Jurassic Park, but yeah. Jaws is better. Jaws, <laughs> like, there's there's things about Jurassic Park where I don't think it's like a perfect film. I think it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal, and it's hard to fault. But yeah, Jaws is like just in the water. Finish. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, ultimately the film would gross over four hundred and seventy million dollars, and it made Steven Spielberg a household name, and he like. The guys who told him to make the movie, it gave him the freedom to make anything he wanted to make. <laughs> but for real this time. <laughs> but for real this time. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, just imagine, he wouldn't have made, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like, Encounters, yeah. there's no way and he could e. have made that film. Yeah. And then E.T., like, you know. Indiana Jones, just you keep going and going. Gave you, like, a plethora of just brilliant films. <laughs> like, yeah. My childhood, basically, growing up. In a lot of people's childhood, I'm sure. Um, Hook. I mean, come on. <laughs> we always go back to Hook. Did he? Um, did he have anything to do with the sequel? No. Uh, yeah. He. I think like. I don't know if he produced the second one. Maybe. Like in name only. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, he was not really attached to him. Um, Jaws. I mean, yeah, it would see three sequels. There's Jaws two, 1978, which. I'll still say 
is a fun film. It's not great, but it's still pretty fun. Jaws 3D from 1983. With some of the worst effects, like the one I'm standing yeah. in front of, where the it's like a static shark just <laughs> moving towards the front of the, towards the camera yeah. and the glass just cracking in front of it. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, the Jaws of Revenge Jaws is one 3D. of the worst things yeah. I've ever seen. And yeah, somehow even more horrible. Jaws of Revenge, nineteen eighty-seven. So yeah, those Michael Caine, though. those <laughs> those films are so bad. Um, yeah. I think the worst thing about it is that they just like were like, yeah, this shark absolutely knows <laughs> who the Brodies are. They made it personal. It's <laughs> they, so they made it personal. Weird. The fucking shark, like it, that's one of the worst things about Jaws of Revenge. It's bad enough that in Jaws two a shark comes back and it seemingly is attacking these people almost like it's out for revenge. It's more like a diehard too. Where it's yeah. Like, oh, same shit happening. Yeah. Because it's Roy Scheider still. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. we're just going to cash in. On it. Like Joel's two feels like a real sequel. It's, it's a money grabbing sequel. It's fun. Yeah. It hits all the same notes. It has some bigger moments, but it's not as good nearly because it's, it, it, it was a sequel. It's too yeah. fast, too furious. Like I said on, <laughs> on that episode, go hit us up on Patreon. We're doing all the Fast and Furious movies. Too Fast, Too Furious is Jaws 2, except probably a little bit better than Jaws 2. But anyway, Jaws 3, that's where they Good start luck. to lose the plot because why, why is the shark traveling to fucking SeaWorld in Orlando? I mean, like, what is going on? Doesn't yeah. know that Michael's down there now? Michael Brody's living down there? Yeah. Does he Following know? family, you know. And then... It makes it even worse by Jaws of Revenge because poor little Sean Brody, the little boy who's so cute in the first film, is killed really early on in the film. And he's it like, ruined like the earlier movies. <laughs> he's killed. And it's like, he's out for revenge. The shark. Oh no, my God. No. It's so absurd. It's like it's I babies. That's, I think, the way they were trying to sell it. It's, it's the mother was the original shark, maybe. Yeah. And it's no, all the it's babies are all. It's like uh, you know, R-rated like uh, Muppet Babies. Yeah. <laughs> I still want um, I think Kevin Smith had a sequel idea for Jaws where like the, a town flood. Yeah, and, yeah. The shark and, and the sharks in the city. <laughs> That's a fucking great yeah. idea. I mean, it's happened now with like Sharknado and yeah. stuff, but there's a, there's a Jaws five to be made. Well, George, we need to get to Jaws twenty nine. Yeah, we got to get there because we've had Jaws nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Jordan 19 and then yeah. uh, Back to the Future. So there's tons and tons and tons and tons of ripoffs of Jaws after Jaws came out. Yeah. It was so incredibly popular. Like Joe Dante's Piranha and all the sequels that has spawned. And Spielberg has said that's the best of all the ripoffs. But some more of those ripoffs include Orca about a killer whale. <laughs> Grizzly, which is just a bear. And it's absurd. I looked at the trailer. Grizzly literally just rips off the score as well. It's so absurd. I kind of want to see it. The score's like, damn it. It's like a WTW like theme song. <laughs> yeah, just the, the notes backwards. <laughs> yeah. Can't fool me. Uh, Can't fool me. Self high five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, there's Blood Beach, which was where the beach was the, the place you didn't want to be. <laughs> I don't know. Deep Blood, Alligator, 
and tentacles. Tentacles. And then there's the Italian film, Great White, which was so much like Jaws that it got pulled from cinemas after Universal sued. And it was even marketed overseas that it was a part of the Jaws franchise. <laughs> it's an Italian joint. But apparently it was making some fucking money too. Like apparently it was doing really well at the box office but before it got pulled. And then in 1995, there was a direct-to-video Italian film called Cruel Jaws. And sometimes it was marketed as Jaws 5 Cruel Jaws. <sighs> Because Jaws was cruel this time. If you thought it was bad in Jaws of Revenge, it was cruel this time. Yeah. <laughs> and it used unauthorized footage from the Jaws series, footage really? from the film Deep Blood, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, and footage from Great White, making it basically the king of the trash ripoffs. Yeah. It's like a montage. Even funnier, the main dude in the film looks like Hulk Hogan. I'm not fucking lying. He's got the stringy white hair. With like the shitty fucking goatee. <laughs> I mean, I bet Hogan would have done it at that time. I bet he would do it now. Hell yeah. I know about the man eater. The shark. <laughs> it's available on uh, Amazon Prime. And I watched a little bit of it. It's hilarious. So I, I want to watch, watch the whole it. thing because it looks silly. I might do that later. We could do a commentary on it. <laughs> <laughs> cool job. Cool jobs. <laughs> If you want to hear that commentary, let us know. We'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but they're a good ripoff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, like Alien. Yeah, definitely. Alien wouldn't exist without Jaws. Jordan Pig. Yeah. I mean, like, like Fart and the Furious. It's just Point Break. Yeah. That's how you do a remake. Yeah. Right? You change just enough, but it's essentially the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then nobody's, hurt, nobody's offended because you're like, you're adding to a pre-existing canon. Mm-hmm. You're doing your own thing, even if it's exactly the same. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, there are also just tons of parodies of Jaws throughout the years, like especially Robert Shaw's speech. Like that's like the U.S. Indianapolis speech. I mean, you've got it in like Always Sunny. Like it's yeah. everywhere. He does like, he kind of, I mean, in Morat, the characters are named after the characters of Jaws, the T.F. Yeah. Quint and Brody Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. And Chasing Amy had a version of the Indianapolis theme, but it's them talking about uh, like God they've gotten from that. <laughs> yeah. And then Clerks even has a little scene with the uh, salsa shark. <laughs> I-, I almost did that for snack time. <laughs> dead, dead, dead. Salsa shark. <laughs> uh, and then like we mentioned, Back to the Future. And then there's the Master of Disguise. Have you ever seen? Yeah, man. Dana Carvey. I mean, Master of Disguise is a terrible movie, but I loved it as a kid. It's so bad it could. Yeah, it's just so Dana horrible. Carvey at like a spy or something. And yeah. his skill is that he can disguise himself. And it's just an excuse for him to do voice. There's a bit where he's like a turtle man. There's a bit where he's basically Al Pacino. It's really, honestly, it's actually really funny. Like, but it's my so master bad. disguise. Yeah. Become another person. <laughs> turtle, turtle. But I love him doing the whole Quint thing. He's like, especially the bit Quint, where he's yeah. just like, 29 kids go in the water. <laughs> 22 kids come out of the water. The ice cream man took the rest. <laughs> What? Oh, it makes so no funny. sense. No, I oh, really man. recommend that movie. If anyone hadn't seen it, please go watch it. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up here. I do want to say, though, before we wrap up, like I said earlier, 
we got into a little bit of about you know the sharks and just how the great white shark in particular but just sharks in general got a really bad rep after this film it's incredible it's an incredible film and i can i get why people were scared shitless to go in the water i was i (laughs) I think about it every time i'm in the ocean like what if a shark came and it's because of this film but you know of all shark species the great white shark is responsible by far for the largest number of recorded shark shark bite incidents on humans with 272 documented unprovoked bite incidents on humans reported in a study done in 2012, which that's gone up obviously since 2012. But Peter Benchley's book and Steven Spielberg's film that provide the great image of the great white shark being a man eater in the public's mind. But, uh, you know, everyone was afraid to go in the water the hysteria really sparked, you know, not only the fascination for the animals, but also hunting of sharks. And mm-hmm. it's estimated that like over a hundred million sharks are killed by humans every year. Like that's not a fair, which is crazy. Compared to yeah. the odds are completely fucked up. Yeah, and that's either for their fins, you know, for shark fin soup or something, yeah. or for their jaws, or their teeth, or just simple culling to protect humans. Like that's literally in people's minds. Like we got to kill them before they kill us, which is nuts. Cause one day they're going to figure out how to breathe and walk on land. <laughs> and then it's over for us. Street sharks. <laughs> Street sharks. <laughs> Great show. Oh uh, man. But then they might actually be the superheroes who protect us. So you know, exactly. maybe we shouldn't kill them. Huh. But uh, Peter Benchley, you know, he actually got really into conservation as well over the years after writing Jaws. I mean, he was always really involved in, in uh, you know the sea and sharks, he really loves it and everything. And uh, after a particular dive off the Cocoa Islands, he witnessed a graveyard of sorts with corpses of fin sharks just littering the seafloor. And after that dive, he devoted himself to shark conservation up until his death in 2006. So it was uh, almost like Frankenstein versus mon- his monster, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it makes me think about shark water. And Sharkwater Extinction, the Rob yeah, that got Rob Stewart. Uh, we showed Sharkwater Extinction. Yeah, you know, I watched it there. Yeah, what was it last yeah. year, 2019? At some point. Yeah, I got a screener of it, and I was asked to like watch it and uh, really hard let, to watch. Let Paul know, shout out Paul, like what I thought oh. of it, <laughs> and that would determine, I guess, if we like you know would show it. And I absolutely loved it. It was really good. Um, a hard watch. And it's also really weird though, because like there's a conspiracy side to that guy, Rob Stewart. Like he died at the end of the film, like, uh, this documentary where I did not know that. Yeah. What's going in. He, he died while he was, uh, on a dive and he like, the equipment malfunctioned. Yeah. Equipment malfunctioned. He's ran out of oxygen and he died. And there was a big conspiracy that he actually was killed because, uh, they didn't like him stopping their shark, you know, fin trade. Like they, it's such a big industry. It's wild. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's messed up, but I mean, if you're going on the thing of shark calling because you want to protect yourself or you're scared to go into the water, sharks on average only kill four to five people per year. Only two were reported in 2019. Only two have happened so far this year in 2020. Obviously, people aren't out in the beach as much, and there are some, you know, reports of more great white sharks appearing off the coast of uh, 
New York right now. And that's kind of scary sounding to people. But at the same time, it's like, and also people might think, oh, well, sharks are starting to come back if so many of them are swimming in these areas. And it's like, well, sharks are moving around because ocean waters are changing temperatures are changing food overfishing and all sorts of stuff they're going to change their habitats and they're not always going to stay the same plus we don't really know that much about the ocean yet but anyway uh most of the attacks on humans are not not fatal uh great whites tend to test bite humans it's usually they just decide that they don't like the taste or it's unfamiliar and they they don't we taste bad get over it (laughs) they don't continue to eat you and some of those people who die might die because the shark just happened to hit an artery and stuff. And it's sad. It sucks. Like, I, I would be terrified if I was a surfer and a buddy of mine, you know, was killed by a shark or attacked by a shark or whatever. But, yeah, but I wouldn't take it out on the shark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should go killing all these fucking sharks. And these attacks tend to happen when people are putting themselves in situations that they could easily avoid, like swimming in murky water where the shark's visibility is lowered, swimming alone because sharks are more likely to attack solitary objects rather than people in groups, and swimming near piers because fishermen are always dumping bait and fish guts and sharks are going to feed there. Very smart. Or they're swimming in areas where there's steep drop-offs like a sandbar, and that's where you know, sharks are more likely to feed. So anyway, like you're more likely to be killed by a cow (laughs) than you are a shark because a lot more people die per year from a cow than they do from sharks. Had that been made yet? Like George, but with a cow? (laughs) I know. Probably. I feel like there was a killer cow movie once. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Smith is making moose, George. Yeah. Which is, Exactly what Jaws it sounds like. A moose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's stop. Let's stop killing sharks. Yeah, and start. Let's start killing cows. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't tried that. <laughs> no, don't kill anything, please. Yeah, there's no point of going out and killing these things. Sorry, that's my. Uh, that was me jumping on my high horse. No, please I, do. I don't know. I really. I really, like I said earlier, I, I've always sort of fancied the idea if I could ever have, like push myself into that life that I would have gotten into marine biology or something or ecology or, or whatever. I just, I love the ocean. I love animals and mammals in the ocean. Uh, sea life is fascinating to me. And I get really upset when I hear things or see things about like people trying to catch sharks, like great white sharks and put what them into, doing? Yeah. like they put them into fucking tanks and aquariums and stuff and it's just like they die after like 11 days because they don't eat they're not used to being put inside of these cages it's and the ultimate you know, it's like form of human hubris right it's seeing this wonderful majestic animal like a bird and being like that thing had the ability to fly i want to put it in a cage you know yeah. it's like this thing yeah. it this huge large mammal swims the ocean and I don't even understand like how it works, yeah. how it feeds and stuff. I want to put it in a tank and I want to watch yeah. it like, oh. you know, bat its head against the wall for hours on end until it dies. It's yeah. just like fucking leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel after I, I see things like uh, Blackfish, when I watch things like Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Tiger King was actually a really difficult watch for me. Yeah. When you put yeah. these lovely, beautiful animals that do not belong in these cages, inside of these cages, and you have these idiots like Joe Exotic 
you know, yeah. he's funny. It's funny. But that's I don't want to see him, you know, and people treat animals horrible. Yeah, and people will pay thousands of dollars to get a picture with a baby yeah. tiger. So it just it yeah. fueled itself with like a, a snake eating its own tail. Yeah, and I know this is probably going to rub some people the wrong way, but I hate zoos. I the, the older I get, the more I hate zoos, and I get it. I get the the love of going to see something you can never see out in the wild. Yeah. I understand that you don't live in India and you want to see a tiger. That's cool. It sounds cool. But at the same time, these animals shouldn't be there <laughs> in these places. And it's horrible. Yeah. And if you want to learn about these things, like if you want to learn about a shark, don't put it in a cage, read a book, read a fucking Look book. On the read John. <laughs> it's the same thing with statues right now. You don't need a statue to let you know what happened in history or who this person was. It's in a book. Although I would, in a book. I would, fun. I would definitely find a petition to put up like a jaw statue. <laughs> 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 We've lost all the listeners now. Everyone's just turned their back on me. They're like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Fuck you for caring about the environment. <laughs> no, if you're going to take one message no. from John and this episode is, Stay away from the beach and don't kill sharks. <laughs> no, go to the beach, have fun. But I mean, right not now, right stay now. away from the right, beach. Not right now. Stay away from the beach. Wear your mask. Yeah, god damn it. That's Jaws, man. I hope it did a good job for anyone <laughs> who like wanted to hear this episode. Yeah. Hopefully, you're still with us, and uh, that was a fun time for you. I had fun. I, did you have fun, Phil? Yeah, talking about <laughs> one of my favorites. Is this your favorite movie? I feel like you've said that. It's climbing up that list. I, you know, I always said that like the jerk for the like the last number jerk, of years is one, one of my favorite films, yeah. and I don't consider the jerk a perfect film. Jerk is great, but though. it's I, I fucking love it. It's a great movie. And Carl but, Reiner uh, just passed away. And Carl Reiner, rest in peace, Carl Reiner. Yeah, like brilliant, uh, thank brilliant you director, for writer. giving me one of my favorite films and birthing a, a good boy in Rob Reiner as well. And until yeah. the end of your days, being a fucking fighter and being anti-Trump, which is great. It's a great follow on Twitter. Exactly. You could go back and read all of his stuff at his senior age and just being awesome. And uh, yeah, I hope Mel Brooks is doing okay because they were best of buds. So. I've, I got to meet Mel Brooks yeah. once at the Prince Charles. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite memories when he did a Such Young a Frankenstein. Yeah, Very sweet so cool. Man. Yeah. So hopefully he's doing all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Jaws is climbing up there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is my favorite film now. I don't know. Like it's hard, but that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast. But anyway, work through your favorite film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to figure it out finally. Yeah. Uh, so Phil, what what are you getting up to this week? What, what's going on? Um, I'll be playing The Last of Us. Um, oh, you're week. actually doing something. Different. Yeah, doing it. I mean, I was kind of I was working on this um, thing I've been working on since quarantine started. Um, the script. And I finally finished uh, like a second draft of it and it was quite big. Oh. So I'd like a reward. I was like, I'm going to take a fucking break. And I bought it and I'm playing through it now. Um, it's good. It's really good. I like playing it like really late at night, like the curtain drawn because it's really scary. <laughs> and it's, you know, quite relevant at the moment. Like everything seemed to be. Everything, yeah. I, maybe it's just that thing where you make things about yourself. But like yeah. every book I read, every film I watch, every game I play every song I listen to I'm like kind of it's like oh it's about like being quarantined and shit it's just I could yeah. the game is set in like post-apocalyptic thing where every there's like a 
a virus that wiped out half humanity. So you're going through these like empty city and you're walking through like supermarkets and record stores and offices and they have like posters of like wear your mask and how to wash your hands and it's just like oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, I think humans have a um have a way of looking at things like that, you know, and making things fit for them. But obviously something like that that's pretty makes unknown. sense. That that's on the nose, but yeah. Um no, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Just trying to have fun, trying to, you know, stay sane. Um trying to not think about um my you know mortality and <laughs> um you know go for what <laughs> sounds good man. how about you what are you doing uh i am going through summer bummers right now so i am uh trying to get my head back into a good place and <laughs> figure out what i'm doing with my life <laughs> and uh yeah i need to get back into doing some music because i've kind of like taken a slight break for the last couple of weeks where I've been trying to write more, but like, I've just, I don't know. I feel like everything I write is shit. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's a struggle. So yeah, I need to get out of my funk that I'm in, but uh, certainly today's episode and just talking about jaws and stuff. Uh, it's very helpful. It was very fun. It's good yeah, to see your face. Fun. Good to see you, have, man. Yeah. have uh silly, silly times. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Where could people find you, Phil? Uh, the, the usual, um, I'm at far away Ned on Twitter. I'm on Doug. I met sharks. I met <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, Instagram, um, sharks with a Z <laughs> yeah. and, um, at home watching movie, wishing I was, you know, outside watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, you find me at tall for all T A L L, the number four A L L on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And collectively for the podcast, you can find us at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We got some Patreon shit dropping. Yeah, we do. Uh, you can hit us up at patreon.com forward slash the PCC Podcast, where every month we're trying to give you two episodes per month, where I did mess up um, because Ariane, on the very last day where we of the month where we were going to record yesterday, was feeling ill and we couldn't record so i promise we're gonna make it up to you uh i think you guys are cool who are over there on patreon uh but you know we will make it up to you we'll try to get you an episode out as soon as possible for your final june episode and then we'll also still give you the two episodes for july so we're gonna do that we're gonna have fun over on patreon.com forward slash the pcc podcast you can support us there show your support and for that we'll give you two episodes a month for five dollars and up backers so yeah hit us up as always you can email us at podcast and uh tell us what you think about jaws or whatever's going on in your life right now we love to hear from you guys so feel free to hit us up but uh just remember that uh you're you're worth it <laughs> i don't know what that means yeah. you're a good person we love you you're a good person stay out of the water Stay out of the water. Don't go to Bournemouth Beach. And just because Boris Johnson says it's okay to go to the cinema, maybe it's not okay. Um, yeah. You know? Listen to us. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. We know. We, but we, you know, we act like we do enough more than the government does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, true. and go watch Master of the Sky. What the fuck yeah. are you doing? Watch Jordan and then watch Master of the Sky greatest film ever (laughs) sure sure
We're going to need a bigger boat. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger podcast. <laughs>